This evening, we are looking at the third myth in our series of debunking the myths of Christmas. And we are going to look at this evening, myth number three, that the shepherds heard the angels sing. The shepherds heard the angels sing. Now, if you notice, we have some of the well-known Christmas carols. We have Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Or you have the first Noel, you know, the first Noel, you know, the angels, you know, did say. Now, one carol says say, another carol says sing. But the idea of this angelic chorus singing praises to God has become very common, isn't it? Now, if you have been to any nativity play, you will find suddenly a group of angels standing up and then they burst into song. But the question we must ask is, does the Bible really say in so many words that the angels actually sang that night? In order to find out what is the truth, we must always get to the scriptures. Okay, so let's look at the truth that we find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. This is what it reads. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So you find, you know, first the angel announced, and then there was this host of angels who come together and say, Glory to God in the highest. Now, the idea of angels uh, now singing on the night of Christ's birth has become so common that many would be surprised to notice this particular information that we find in this verse, okay? The angel announced the birth of Christ to the shepherds, and the angel was then joined by the other angels who praised God and said these words, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Now, some people may say, hey, let's not make such a big difference between the, you know, the singing and the saying. But the only reason why I'm sharing this with you is oftentimes we you know, uh, tend to overlook these things and uh, think, hey, that is how it, we have heard it all along and we assume a lot of things. But we must get back to scripture. And one of the points you know, that we have focused on as we have done this series on debunking the myths of Christmas is to lead us to look closely at what the Bible really teaches us. Far often, a lot of our traditions have been the basis of our thinking, and we end up believing things that are not found in Scripture. So this is where this evening I want us to look more closely at Scripture and learn a lot of important things. In any case, whether we think you know, that you know, the angels sang or they only said, the important thing is that Jesus came down to earth on that particular day, and it brought joy to the people, it brought you know, peace to the people, it reconciled man with God, and as a result, you and I can have that 
relationship with God. So that is the whole purpose. So if we in our, uh, focus more on the song, if you notice, that's the reason why maybe we have a lot of Christmas cantatas and all the singing that goes on, carol singing and things like that, because we associate a Christmas means there should be a lot of singing. Why? Because the angels sang. But the Bible doesn't really tell us that in so many words. What does the Bible say about the birth of Jesus and the visit of the angels to the shepherds? Let's look at the sign that the shepherds received. Verse 12 tells us, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The wise men's sign was a star. The wise men said, we have seen the star in the east. But the shepherd's sign was not a star. Here again, when people make cribs, if you notice, they'll put a star on top of that, assuming that there was a star on top of the manger. No, the shepherds were not guided by a star. The shepherd's sign was a stable. They were only given three clues. There will be a baby, there will be swaddling clothes, and there will be a manger. A rather unusual sign, isn't it? Now, if you were given three clues like this, okay, in a city of Bethlehem, you're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. What would you have done? Where would you have gone looking for? But if you notice, the shepherds immediately left and found the baby immediately. Why? How? Let's look at that also this evening. Now, I do not know if the next slide gives you an, a picture or an image. Yes, you know, this is actually the manger, okay? Now, again, when you look at manger scenes in nativity plays, you know, you have, you know, maybe a small little crib, crib as it were. But this is the manger that is spoken of. The manger was made of stone, and it was a feeding trough for animals, okay? Now, this is the manger, hard, cold stone. And maybe on this, you know, you know, some hay was put so that it will be a little you know, softer, if you were to say. But this was an actual image of the mangers or feeding troughs. That's the word that is used there that was used for the animals. I guess it was a stone one, not what we would normally, again, traditionally think of. So let's look at now the search. How did the shepherds know where to go? Remember we said there are only three clothes. What are the clues? A baby, swaddling clothes, and manger. Now, if you were assigned this job as a detective, okay, go find the baby. What would you have done? Okay? But what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us very clearly, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us, okay? And immediately they got up and went. So the question, I hope if you have never asked this question this evening, ask this question. How did the shepherds know where to go? Where is the stable? There was no star, remember? There was no guiding star. It was only these three clues, okay? But the Bible tells us very clearly that they went in haste. Verse 16 tells us, and, uh, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger, okay? Now, 
they came with haste. They came instantly. That's what it basically means. And you know? there was no time gap. Immediately they went from that place, immediately got to the place, found the right place, you know, very quickly. So the question which should definitely strike your mind, how did the shepherds know where to go and how did they find this place very quickly? In order to do that, we must understand Bethlehem and the shepherds. The shepherds that we read about in Luke were actually fulfilling temple duties. And the only ones who could perform temple duties were priests. And this area on the outskirts of Bethlehem was kept specifically for the sheep that was considered to be holy and consecrated and could only be used for sacrifices in the temple. You know? And this was the area that was kept. So it was a special consecrated circle around the city of Jerusalem, coming as far as a place that is called as the Tower of the Flock or Migdal Ida. So this means that these shepherds who first heard this good news were not ordinary shepherds, but they actually were part of this, uh, the priesthood who were part of the offering the sacrifices to God on a regular basis. If you notice in Micah chapter 4 and verse 8, this is what we read. And you, O tar of the flock, again the word is Migdalidar, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come, even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So this was the prophecy that you know, uh, the prophet Micah said, to you, to this particular tar of the flock, you know, this individual, this Messiah will come. And based on that prophecy, many people, Jewish writers and others, were looking forward for the Messiah to be born in this particular area. And this is why when the angels uh, appeared to, you know, that night to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem, it was not just a simple declaration to some strange shepherds. No, it was a, a very a strong declaration to uh, uh, shepherds who were priests, declaring it as a sign to everybody around that the Messiah indeed was born. This is why Luke records for us in Luke chapter 2 again, verses 17 to 18. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Okay, they marveled. In other words, they understood to certain elements. They say, hey, this could be the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. But of course, you know, as the child grew up, they sort of knocked off all those thinkings because they said, he's just one among us. He's the carpenter's son. But there was the shepherd priests who to whom the angels gave this information, whom were very clear about where to find this uh, baby that was going to be born. <laughs> okay, So the shepherds were in the fields <coughs> surrounding Bethlehem, not out in the wilderness where regular sheep were kept, and these were definitely priests. You know? Now what were they doing? The Bible tells us they were watching over their flock. They were watching over their flock. Okay. Now, this is where, as I mentioned to you about the star of the flock, you know, this was a place where the shepherds you know, could uh, uh, look over the sheep that were there. There were shepherds in the field. There were also individuals who would 
looked over the flock. And this Migdal and Eder, if you notice the next slide, will give you this image, okay? The next slide, and we can come back to this slide. This is the tar at Migdal Idar. Okay. Now it is a circular tar with a second floor from which the shepherds watched over the sheep. The first floor had only one unique purpose. It was ceremonially cleansed and sanctified by the Levitical priests as a birthing chamber. It is made ritually pure and reserved for the lambs of sacrifice placed in the sanctified manger. So this was the place that was used for these lambs that were born, for these ewes that were giving birth in the field. They were brought to this particular place so that the lambs that are born would be kept clean without any blemish because the sacrificial lamb had to be clean without any blemish. They were looked after in this place. And this was the manger. This was the manger. And once the lamb was born, it was wrapped in swaddling clothes, you know, which were torn from the garments of the priests, and they were placed in the manger to protect it from damage by trampling or thrashing. So these were shepherds in this area. So as soon as the angel said, you know, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they immediately recognized manger, you know, what it means, they recognized the tar of the flock, they recognized where they would find, and immediately they came to this spot. So obviously they would have known the prophecy of the Messiah's birth, okay, which you know, the prophet Micah had spoken about. This is how we know that the shepherds knew where to go. They were not ordinary people. They were priests who knew the Old Testament scriptures. And as a result, they charged to this particular place. Because remember, Micah 4.8 says, And as for you, tar of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. The angels knew exactly where to and to whom to they should go to to proclaim the good news. You know? And as soon as they found the baby, they went around and told everybody. Okay? Now, they understood it instantly, that the Messiah would be birthed where all sacrificial lambs for Israel entered the world. So as a result, they hurried to the ceremonial birthing chamber in the base of the tower of the flock. And just as the angel had announced, when they came there, what did they see? They found a baby. They found a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. They found a baby lying in a manger. Okay. Now, the third confirmatory proof for them to say, hey, this is indeed the right China baby. You know, the third clue that was given to them was the swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes. A side note about the swaddling clothes. These were not ordinary cloths. They weren't rags that Mary and Joseph had brought from their home or happened to find in the stable. No, they were the same cloths that were used by the priests, and maybe specifically the shepherd priests, you know, to keep the lambs clean and free of blemishes as the lambs were prepared for the sacrifice. Some others will also say maybe these you know, uh, cloths were given by Zechariah, who was a priest, you know, to them as a gift. You know. Either way, 
these were specific cloths used by the priests. So when the shepherds came to this place, they found the baby. They found the baby also wrapped in swaddling clothes, these same clothes that were used by the priests. They immediately said, this is it. And what's the, what is the response? Verse 20, you know, tells us in Luke's gospel, they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard. The message translation puts it across this way. They let loose glorifying and praising God. They let loose glorifying and praising God. In other words, they were overjoyed. You know, they had found that which they were, whom they were looking for. They were confirmed in their hearts that this is indeed the one. This was not just a simple baby. They recognized who this baby was. And as a result, they were overjoyed and they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen and heard. Now let's learn some lessons from these shepherds this evening. Number one, they went. They went. As soon as they heard the announcement, they received the message. They took action, you know, and they said simply, let us go. Okay, there was no time for discussion. They didn't say, hey, let's pray over it and say who should go. Let's, they did not say, hey, let's appoint a committee and decide who will go first. No, no, no. As soon as they heard the angels say, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, they said, let's go to Bethlehem. Now, the question we must ask ourselves is when we hear God's call in our lives, when we hear God speaking to us, when we hear him telling us, hey, this is what I want you to do in your life. When God speaks to us in his word, when somebody speaks and when somebody preaches, when we read the Bible for ourselves and God speaks to us, what do we do? That's not the time to procrastinate. It's the time for obedience. The shepherds acted in faith. Remember, they did not think about who would watch over the sheep that were there in the fields. Okay. For a shepherd to leave his sheep, especially at night, was unthinkable, irresponsible. All their livelihood may be wiped out by this single act, but nothing would stop them in their desire to find the Messiah. Nothing would stop them to obey. And that is what is so very important. God honored their faith. Nothing kills faith in the life of an individual as procrastination. You know what procrastination is? You know, uh, you know, it's the attitude which says, never do today what can be put off until tomorrow. Have you procrastinated in any area of your spiritual life? Whether it is the reading of the Bible, whether it is the praying, whether it is committing your life to God, whether it is obeying in different areas that God is speaking to you, whether it is giving certain habits in your life. Have you been procrastinating? Have you been putting it off? The scripture tells us you know, that they went. You know, they went immediately. They broke their routine. They altered their schedule. They made arrangements to go. They went. And that is so very important. Spiritual obedience must be the top priority in our lives. You know? And when we do that, when God speaks to us and we are willing to alter schedules, change schedules, put in a reprioritize things in our lives, then God begins to use us. Think, for example, Moses, who was out in the desert, minding his own business, doing his own job. When he encountered God, presence at the burning bush. What happened to him? He was changed. And so was the future 
of God's people. Or think of Jacob on the road about to meet his angry brother Esau. He has an encounter, in fact, a wrestling match with God, and he was forever changed with a limp in his leg to prove it. Or think about Peter praying as he normally did each day. But this time, God spoke to him through a vision. And as a result, God's vision said, hey, the Gentiles are also part of God's plan. And his life and the life of the church was changed. You know? The Bible is full of stories of people who encountered God in various ways. And when they did, they embraced the moment. They obeyed immediately. And as a result, their lives were changed. This evening, ask yourself, you know, have you encountered God in a personal way? And what was your response to that? Did you immediately obey? Or are you putting it off and saying, maybe a little later I will give this up. A little later I will commit this area of my life to God. No, God wants us to obey, to act immediately. The shepherds went immediately. Secondly, they worshipped. They worshipped. Okay, As soon as they found uh, Jesus in the manger, their immediate response you know, was to glorify God, was to glorify God. That is what worship is all about, to give God his due. That's what worship is. Okay, In a few weeks from now, we will be entering into the new year. And this year, 2020, has been a lot of you know, discouragement to a lot of people. But you and I who know the Lord, we are supposed to be the individuals who are going to encourage the other individuals. How do we do this? We rejoice. How do we rejoice? We do it by directing the entirety of our lives toward him so that our focus is on God and we worship God. And as a result, individuals who are discouraged around you know, during this time would be able to refocus their attention also on God. Our model for worship is the shepherds. They saw with their eyes Baby Jesus, swaddling clothes, manger. Maybe they felt with their hands, you know, and they sensed in their spirits the presence of the Messiah. And as a result, when they received it in their hearts, who Jesus was, the outflow of that was worship. Remember, worship is the most natural thing that we can give. You know, they were authentically ignited in joy excitement and jubilation. And this is an internal attitude displayed as an external action. It speaks of overflow. Worship is not songs that we sing. Remember, worship is from what is coming from our hearts. The shepherds saw Jesus and immediately from their hearts, they began to praise and worship God. Today, of course, we think of you know, music related with worship, but not really so. Remember the song, When the Music Fades? The origin of that song is that in the late 1980s in Watford, England, Matt Redmond's pastor, you know, they had a high caliber praise and worship band, yet the pastor knew that the congregation had somehow lost their way in all the you know, midst of all this music. So the pastor asked, when you come through the doors on a Sunday, what are you bringing as an offering to God? And Matt Redmond says the question led initially to some embarrassing silence. Eventually, heartfelt prayers and heart-driven songs were sung 
as they experienced God in fresh way. And through that experience, Matt Redmond wrote this song, which says, when the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I made it. When it's all about you, it is all about you, Jesus. And that is what worship is. The shepherds saw Jesus. They understood who Jesus is. They experienced who he is. And as a result, you know, they were overjoyed. They worshiped. Ask yourself this evening, what is worship to you? Is it just singing a couple of choruses? You know, or is it really coming from your heart? Worship must come from our hearts. Okay? Remember, a person does not come into worship before you know, they have already come in repentance. You, know, you don't come into worship you know, with an unprepared heart. Okay? You come with a, a worship you know, with an attitude that says, Lord, I'm sorry for the, way I've, things, for the way things have been. Lord, it's all been about myself. I'm sorry about it when it's all about you. What did the shepherds do? The first thing that the shepherds did was what? They left their flocks, which was their most prized possession, and they came to Jesus. And that's the first step oftentimes, isn't it? Leave your flocks. Leave what is your priority to you. you know? Leave what is, you think is really important. And say, Lord, what is really important is not these things, but what is really important is you and knowing you. And that is what worship is all about. The third thing that they did, or the third lesson we can learn, is they witnessed. They witnessed. Remember, the shepherds were not told to go and tell their story. Okay? You know, the shepherds were not told to go and tell their story. Yet they did. Yet they did. Why did they tell the story? Because they had experienced it, isn't it? And what this world needs today is to be amazed yet again by a passionate group of maybe young people, older people, telling a very powerful story. And that story is Jesus and what he has done for us. It is our witness, our testimony that has great power. And even during this Christmas season, let me encourage you to be individuals who share this powerful story of Christmas to people all around you. But remember, how does that happen? How does that grip your heart? It's only when you have experienced him in a first-hand way. But in order to experience him in a first-hand way, there has to be a repentance, first of all, giving up of your old ways and saying, Lord, I want you. And then once you meet him in that personal way, he changes your life. He encourages you to then go and tell others who Jesus really is. The angels were evangelizing the shepherds. They tell the good news to the shepherds. And what did the shepherds do? They went and told others the good news as well. And this is what you and I need to do in our lives as well. Remember, God provides a sign for all who search for the Savior. The wise men saw the star. The shepherds, the sign was a baby, swaddling clothes, and the manger. They were searching, and these signs then immediately fit in together. Are you searching for the Savior? Jesus has already come into this world, died for you and me, so that we will find salvation. 
This Christmas could be the best time, isn't it? The Lord has given us enough signs to show who he really is. All that he wants of us is like the shepherds. Immediately get up, immediately leave your past, immediately come see what Christ has done for you and me. And once we know and tasted of who Jesus is, we cannot keep it to ourselves. The shepherds were not told where they have to go and tell others, but they realized they, we cannot keep it to ourselves. And that is what evangelism is all about. And this Christmas season would be the best time for you and I to go around and share with people who do not know what the Christmas story is all about. They think about so many other traditions, but you and I who have known Jesus, this is the message we can share to the needy world around us. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.